this work is called Haggadah HaPesach. Now, everybody has a Haggadah Shel Pesach or the Passover Haggadah. And I call this one Haggadah HaPesach because it is fundamentally different in that it has a ritual for use if and when the Korban Pesach is actually part of the Seder. Most of us are familiar with the Seder as it, as it exists now. There is no Korban Pesach. The Seder, whether in Jerusalem's old city or in Timbuktu, does not feature a Paschal lamb. There's the bitter herbs, there's the maror, and there's the matzah that we eat. And the central feature of the Seder is supposed to be the consumption of the Pesach. And the matzah and the maror are technically maror more than matzah, but both are go along with the Pesach. It says you should eat the, the Passover lamb upon unleavened bread and bitter herbs, upon matzah and maror. But that's the main part of the mitzvah. That's where the day gets its it gets its name. Well, at least, you know, actually, there's, it's also called Chag Matzot. The sages also called it uh, the festival of matzot, but they also called it Chag Pesach. So that, that's, that's something that's missing. And because it's missing, for example, when it comes time to eat the Korban Pesach, what do we do instead of eating the Korban Pesach? It's not there. We eat more matzot. We eat more matzot. It's the afikomen. And one of the first parts of the Seder is the yachatz. What's yachatz? That's when you take one of the matzahs and break it in order to put some away for later. That's the afikomen. Safun. Safun is the stage of the Seder. So the Seder would be not the Seder anymore. It would be a different Seder. Seder means order. It would be a entirely different order if the Korban Pesach was there. And a lot of the liturgy, the text of the Kagadah, is different because there's no Korban Pesach. For example, Halach Ma'anya is an invitation. Anybody else who has no Seder to join is welcome to join us. But if the Korban Pesach is at your Seder, you're not allowed to invite strangers in. The Korban Pesach is only to be eaten by those people who signed up for it in advance before it was slaughtered. That's before Yom Tov started. And once that happened, once it was slaughtered, that's it. Only that particular group can sit around and eat that Korban Pesach together. Could I ask yeah. you a yeshivish question? Yeah, please. Um, let's say someone really wanted to bring a Korban Pesach and invite someone later. Is there any way he could do it? Could he make a tanai that, that this portion will no. be Lima Freya for... Yes, so it turns out that that is an idea in, in Chazal. But Chazal said that the Korban Pesach can only be slaughtered for, on behalf of those who have signed up, the Minuyim, as they say. So, no, there's no option for that. You have to do it specifically. If, if it was, I believe, slaughtered on behalf of those who are not specifically Minuyim, the people who had signed up for this Korban Pesach, it's it invalidates it in some way. It has to be only for those people. And all the people on that who are signed up for it have to be valid eaters of that Korban Pesach. It can't be people who are disqualified. Who's disqualified from eating Korban Pesach, for example? And an RL. Yeah, an um, RL. Someone who's uh, unfortunately uncircumcised, person who's a Mishumad, for example. A Mishumad is a Jew who worships idols. Tommy yeah. Mace also. Uh, Tommy Mace, yes. All these, there's a lot of people who are, dis who are disqualified from Korban Pesach for whatever reason, so they cannot be among the Minuyim. So wait, so what are the Arelim and, and et cetera, and the people who are Tameim, what do they do on Passover? They have a traditional Seder. <laughs> if the whole family is in Jerusalem's old city, eating the Korban Pesach together, and let's say there's a fellow who, for whatever reason, is, is Tamei Mace, or a woman who just uh, has her own impurity for her own reasons, and the, the Aurel, so they make their own Seder elsewhere, without the Korban Pesach, the way we do it. 
You mean the Seder that we have now? The Seder that we the Seder of the, the Arel and the Tameh. Or the people who were out of Jerusalem in temple times in the large Jewish communities, let's say in the first century, in Rome, in Alexandria, in Babylon, where there had, of course, large Jewish communities. And even in, let's say, the Galilee, where the people were not having Korban Pesach. Korban Pesach is only in Jerusalem. They would have the Seder that we are familiar with. And this idea of eating afikomim, an extra matzah in place of Korban Pesach, is already something they were doing in temple times. It's mentioned in the Gemara as that. It's not something that was was in legislated by the rabbis in response to the destruction of the temple, like mm-hmm. many other practices that we do have today. This is this idea of eating matzah to make up for the Korban Pesach is something that predates the destruction of the temple. Really? Yes. So th- this is something I believe. Why do we need this? Every house has many Haggadahs. Everybody has a few copies. And everybody worth his salt has put out his own edition of the Haggadah. That's, that's also that's the most common right. Jewish, aside from the Sidur and the, and the Chumash, this is what everybody, every Jewish household has, and, and a menorah. Right. So we need this text available, and also the basic halachas available, because most people are going to be unfamiliar with this. God willing, every year we have this opportunity to offer Korban Pesach. Many of us try. Many <laughs> of us sign up. We buy shares of a lamb or a, a kid goat as it is, and we pray for the opportunity to perform this service. This well, The service doesn't need a temple, by the way. The service is performed at the site of the temple, but all, all that's necessary is at least a valid Kohen dressed in his vestments and ritually purified to the greatest extent he could. Even if he's a Tamei Mace, it's okay because everybody's Tamei Mace, everybody's ritually impure to the dead. So to Mahu Trub Sibur, the sages said that that's not a halachic uh, problem. Mm-hmm. If everybody is impurified, so that doesn't that whole disqualification is off the table. There's yeah. there's consensus about this. this yes, that's Rovri Shonim. No, no, no. This is Kol Rishonim. It's a straight. It's 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 a Mephorish Gemara. It's an explicit Gemara that says this. Yeah. So the two things that the two everybody's known this forever. The only question is, is it's a technical possibility. In the 1800s, it's because the Ottomans weren't letting them. Yeah. In the early in the first half of the 20th century, the Jewish people were not in charge of the Temple Mount. This became an issue again in 67, but that's when people just. The, the Rabbanut has a, a policy based on, which is basically, basically dictated by the government, no Jews on the Temple Mount, that's it, we're not doing anything. And this has upset many great rabbis over the years who have said the halacha is very clear, that we are enjoined on, on the penalty of karet, by the way, the worst, the worst uh, punishment a person can get in this world for not fulfilling certain commandments, which, by the way, is circumcision, circumcision and the Korban Pesach, just shows you how important those two commandments are. And we're just not doing it. Those there's, are the only mitzvahs I say that. Yes, those are the only mitzvahs I say that a person would get curries for. And there's a whole slew of mitzvahs losase. This is that. That's a surprise, and that's God willing to talk about that later. The connection between circumcision and sacrifice. Yeah. There's many actual connections. By the way, this is something that that should be done and can be done. And the Temple Institute people and many other rabbis have been telling people we just have to wait for the opportunity. The day the police let the Jewish people offer yeah. their the sacrifice on the 14th of Nisan, it would obligate everybody to make an effort to try to do it also. Mm. And that's what we do every year. We we hope, we, we anticipate going to Jerusalem for Passover, at least the first night, to have the Seder. And when that happens, when the Korban Pesach is ritually slaughtered properly, and it is roasted whole, uh, and then it is eaten the night of Passover. And all you have to do is eat an olive-sized amount, which is quite little, 
and you're, you've fulfilled your obligation. It has to be done, of course, eaten with the bitter herbs and the matzah, right. and it changes around the entire Seder. And, I can imagine. Yeah. So, and also changes the text. Right. For, I just gave the example of Halachmania, the last blessing of the of Magid, which is, you know, we pray that so to God, allow us next year to at least offer the Korm Pesach. You can't say that when you have the Korm Pesach is sitting there. It's right. a different thing. And Lashana Habab Yushalayim also isn't there. It's right. more like you say the Halel, etc. There, it, it changes a lot of part of the Seder, right. and it changes the Halachas of the Seder, and that's why I've created this book. And I'm now looking for, uh, I guess, uh, kind sponsors, yeah. the, the means of... Uh, Printing this book and making it available for the Jewish people. Is there is there nothing like this out there? Has no one has no one done this? Well, even here's the strangest thing. Even the Rambam, who spells out the exact order, at least in his opinion, of how to conduct the seder if the korban pesach is there, that's available to everybody. That's okay. in the Mishnah Torah. The problem is that there are certain major machlokas uh, disagreements and fine points in Allah between him and, for example, the Ravad with regards to a few things. There's always arguments that the Ravad has, and other Rishon have raised uh, slight issues with the Rambam's formulation of how the Seder should go. Uh, most importantly, the, the Shulchan Aruch, which is a book put out by Rabbi Epstein around the turn of the 20th century, he has also his, you know, what the Halacha should be, something slightly different than the Rambam, but even the Rambam doesn't have a text of the Haggadah that goes along with it. Oh, really? His text of the Haggadah is, and here's the text of the Haggadah, which basically is our Haggadah. Right. And there's very few, even the, the so-called differences between Ashkenaz and Sfarad and uh, Yemenites, whatever, exi- whatever differences exist among the various Sidurim with regards to the daily prayers are much more minimized in the Haggadah. Yes, there's some Kabbalistic prayers added here and there, but the Haggadah text is pretty much uniform. Mm-hmm. And also there's the, the question about how the Hallel ends, how the ending of Hallel, which Bracha said, what right. we know as Yishtabach with its full ending, or is it the Yahalalucha that we normally say when we say Halel in the morning? Right. Slight argument there, the Vilna Gones version. But aside from that, we all have the basic text of the Haggadah. In, but in, in more yeah. recent years, no one contemporary has put, put no. together something on Isa? Yes, I have. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And that's why that's why this is, for me, this is, this is a real goal, because this is something that's so necessary. Every yeah. year, we pray that we have this opportunity, and you're not going to be able to use your Haggadah. Right. You're not going to have to go over the halachas entirely differently. I have a, that's why I said it's a few pages long to understand these halachic differences. And right. the most important one is you can't just join in. You have to actually prepare for the, the Pesach beforehand. I also tell people the most important thing, if you're going to be participating in the consumption of sacrificial meat, is ritual purification. Now, we, we know that we're all too mahutra to see where I mentioned that. That's if people have been contaminated by going near the dead. They went to the cemetery, they went to a funeral, etc., so they can only be purified with the ashes of the red cow mixed with water that they kept in the temple. That's how they purified people and objects yeah. from the contact with the dead. So that's not a problem if everybody has that. But there still is the ritual impurities that people get from uh, similar emissions, contact with certain vermin, right? Tuma, yeah. what's called Tumat Haguf. And that, of course, has to be removed. Therefore, everybody who intends to eat of Korban Pesach has to protect protect himself from these impurities and immerse in a ritual mikvah. Yeah. So it's very important that all men, for example, who want to eat of the Korban Pesach, go to the mikvah at least the day before, possibly even the day of is technically allowed. Really? Yeah. They're, they're a tevul yom. You know, he, he goes, let's say, 12 noon on Erev Pesach. And then at night, that's when the, 
the, the purity kicks in, that's when mm -hmm. he has to eat the Korban Pesach. He has to go to mikvah. And he, he, has, do, he doesn't need to be a, a tahor pure to, to shech the Korban Pesach? Well, I guess the one doing shechting, but only one person has to do the shechting. It doesn't even have to be a member of the group eating it. Mm -hmm. The Kohen, one Kohen could do all the shechting and catching all the blood of all the animals and putting it on the altar. So to go into For the all temple For all the people now, who are trying to do yeah. it, yeah, I'm sure you so, could. Well, it means a, a group eating a Korban Pesach, one lamb, has enough meat there for a few dozen people. Because it just takes an olive size amount. So only I'm sure at least know, that, maybe a lot more. Maybe yeah. They, they actually had a thing. The Gemara describes in the reign of Agrippus, the first century, he instructed the Kohen Gadol to count, take a kidney from every Korban Pesach for counting to see how many people. And they found that there's only a certain amount of people registered for each Korban Pesach. It turns out a million people attended this Korban Pesach back in the first century. There was also one wow. of the reasons why so many people were killed in the siege of Jerusalem, the final siege of Jerusalem that destroyed the city, it started on Passover. Really? And a lot of guests were in there. So wow. they suddenly found themselves there. That was that was pretty bad. But uh yeah, this is this is something. So we have to ritually purify ourselves. And also women, yeah. married women have to know that just like they attend mikvah, you know, regularly yeah. for whatever reasons, they also have to attend mikvah the night before Passover and keep themselves pure. In this case, just like, and they have to, even a, a woman, no reason she's, she's been pure and whatever, she has to go to mikvah anyways, the night before Passover, the night of Bidikas Hametz, and keep herself pure the rest of the day so that she could eat Korban Pesach, because women are just as obligated as men to eat the Korban Pesach. Right. And uh, yeah, that's the same point. People have to get to know this. That's why it's good that we learn the halachas of mikvah, so that we can practice these halachas. You yeah. can't, you can't live in a temple-based society without knowing these things, so, without so practicing I'll, it. I'll tell you, this is this is funny. For a while, I've had a dream of putting out a practical handbook for Toma and Tara nowadays. I mean, I mean that's going to be have to be the next book once you put out this, this Haganah. Well, have, have you read the Rambam's practical handbook for it? <laughs> no. Okay, so it's that's a good place to start because these rules don't exist. Someone said, we follow the Mishnah Burr. I thought it was funny. Follow the Mishnah Burr's Pesach and everything. You could follow the Mishnah Burr on everything the Mishnah Burr says, technically, Except for the fact that Mishnah Bura is only an Orachayim. There's no Mishnah Bura on Yorodeh on Evan or Ezra or Kosher Mishpat. Right. Not only that, there's no Shulchan Aruch on Tuma and Tara and a right. host of other halachas. Only the Rambam has a complete handbook about how to do all right. these things. And yes, there there is a. It's, it's pretty much assumed that like the we assume like the Rambam with all these things because he's the only one who actually has said stuff with regards to this. So back, so, back to your Agata, yeah. you think you think you've brought it to Halakha Lamaisa to a, a usable format that people can can easily interact with? I hope so. Assuming people know basic what Passover is about and the four cups and acquiring matzah, I try to make it easy for that. Right. Here's the problem, because this is something that has not been part of traditional Jewish practice for a little bit more than two thousand a little bit less than two thousand years, yeah. unfortunately, uh, there is not a lot of even even the rabbis who would have to answer questions on the fly don't have experience. There's not literature about this. Right. So someone come, someone, I, I can't imagine <clears throat> the questions. Are coming. Of course you can imagine the questions usually come up. Rabbis, mostly the questions that they deal with are Kashmir's in the kitchen, Shabbos and Nida, because that's what people live. Right. So these are, I can imagine this is what would happen on, you know, with the Korban Pesach, things like, oh, how was I supposed to cook the Korban Pesach? That's an issue. You have to cook the Korban Pesach right. right. You can't cook it. You have to roast it. Right. And you have to roast it right. You can't roast it the way we roast it. And if the, you can continue roasting it into Yom, Yom Tov, because Yom Tov you're allowed to cook, but if Yom Tov is Shabbos, like what's going to happen this year and last year, 
you have to make sure to fully roast the Korban Pesach before Shabbos starts. Otherwise, you are making it not kosher. Right. If you cook food on Shabbos, it's not kosher food. And you have to keep it ritually pure in the cooking process. And you have to have like the issues I talked about, inviting other people, who's, who counts and who can join the group. Right. So I can imagine those types of questions would come up, well, you know, fairly reasonably. And I can't anticipate every question because we haven't even put this into practice. Right. And telling people how to ritually purify, of course, the day before is a little bit sensitive. Yeah. It involves their personal lives. Right. So we have to really educate people. Mm-hmm. Not only that, you have to tell teenagers who have no experience with this. You have to tell 13-year-old boys have to know to go to mikvah. Right. And also teenage girls. Normally, we have a, a rule. No single girls in women's mikvahs. Right. That's been a controversy in public mikvahs, but you have to know. She's 12 years old. She's 14. She has to go to mikvah with her mother the night before if she wants to eat korba Pesach. That's an amazing thing. Yeah. Yeah. So these questions will come up, and I can't cover them in the book, but I do make mention of them. Right. Or what to do in the course of Seder. Oops, we did something out of order. Right. You know, so you have to you have to know what's what's critical and what's not. Right. Can, and, can I ask uh, you something? Yeah, this, please, please ask me. This seems like a, a huge work. Yeah. Taking something from from really ancient sources that almost haven't been touched. Well, in, they've been touched, they just haven't been practiced, but yeah. Okay. Okay. Um to to halachalamaisa nowadays, it sounds like something you'd want a lot of opinions on and a lot of input. Have you collaborated with anyone? Have you have you discussed this with a uh, with a lot of people out there? Or have you mostly worked on this yourself? So I've been working on this myself. I've been trying to get other people involved in this, but the problem is that you know, first of all, there's a the prohibition. You're not supposed to ask the rabbi in yeshiva questions that are not what he's currently you know studying. Right. You know, that's not the sugya. They're they're learning. I think in the whatever where I mean, that's a problem. Remote, we're doing Shabbos this year. So right. if I wanted to sit with, you know, whoever and discuss these halachas, right. that's not what's on the table. Right. And of course, a month before Passover, you're supposed to start learning these things. But the problem is that every year we do that, they open our Psachim. They right. learn the first <laughs> parak, which is about <clears throat> checking for chametz, which of course you have to do. Yeah. You have to that all those halachas are the same. And our Psachim is a wonderful parak because it's 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 relevant every Shabbos. It has a lot of halachas that are there for every Shabbos and Yontif, which is great. And that also tells you right. how to do the Seder, but the Seder the way we currently right. do it, though the, not the optimal Seder. And all those middle prok, which talk about Tamid Nishchat, right. which tells you about how the ritual was done in the temple, starting with that afternoon, uh, the, the 14th of Nisan. The, the morning of the 14th of Nisan was a regular day in the temple, but then they did their final sacrifice, in order to start the Passover sacrifices, they started the Korban Tamid a little bit early that afternoon. And that is something that, unfortunately, I don't study so much. And yeah. so I've had to do it alone. I've, I've, I've discussed this with Tamid and Chacham in other places, gotten some input. Yeah. I've, like I said, I went through the basic you know, materials and all right. that. And I would hope that not only would this book, I'm not telling everybody, here, take this book. It's rabbinically endorsed. Now use it. Right. I would hope that this would actually provoke greater scholars yeah. to pick it up and say, oh, there's actually what that needs to be right. argued about. I wouldn't say that Grossman was dead wrong and everything he said here, <laughs> but I would want them to start discussing. We, right. need, to, we need to provoke the conversation. Yeah. And not only that, once people are talking about this, this will get people interested, God willing. One of the things that prevents us from doing this is that the culture, society doesn't consider this. Society right. doesn't, people don't anticipate people don't prepare for this type of Passover. They, they buy right. tickets to go to Hawaii or whatever, even if they go to Jerusalem for Passover, which is great. They're not in the old city. 
Right. You can only eat in the old city. You can only stay overnight in the old city after you eat. Today, today's old city is the old city. The, most of it is. Most really? of it is. It's within. But a lot of it isn't, especially what's known as the so-called Christian quarter. It's not. Yeah. But that's not where Jews would be living uh-huh. anyways. Um, but you have, to, you have to know these halachas, and this would generate interest. The problem is that when every era of Pesach happens, people just think that the people who are trying to offer Kor Pesach are a bunch of crazies. Right. You it know? seem like that. Yeah. That, that, and, and that's not right. If there was more societal push for this, government might be more inclined to it. Just like the government's becoming more and more religious, there are more MKs who are at least who are Dhammakas. There are people who say they want to keep Judaism. They yeah. go to they, they go to Shu on Shabbos. They do keep kosher in the house. Right. So this isn't part of their Judaism yet. Yeah. So we have to get this to be part of it. A hundred something years ago, two hundred years ago, Jews did not live in the land of Israel. Jews did not speak Hebrew. Right. But eventually it became more in style. More they didn't more keep Shemitah or, or yeah. Trumas and Meisters. And these things have made a comeback. And the Tehillahs has made a comeback. Mitzvahs are making a comeback. Yeah. Judaism, I just wrote now, despite its age, is still all the rage. And <laughs> this is this is our, our goal. It's, it's, yeah. it's actually really exciting. I think, I think um, especially a younger generation looks <clears throat> at sometimes... Uh, the world of halacha and the world of Torah a little askance and thinks it thinks it archaic and like like nothing new has happened for two thousand years. Well, like new things are happening. Well, this is the oldest thing. This is the first mitzvah, right? This is older. The Korban Pesach predates the Exodus. Yeah, predates yeah. Uh, you know the the revelation at Sinai, but still, this would be new for us. Right, and every year it's supposed to be new. Every year, what's the what's the when a person engages in the mitzvah of eating Korban Pesach every year, he recites the Shachianu. Yeah, because it's a mitzvah that. Well, nowadays we recite the Shach Yanu on the mitzvah of drinking the four cups mm-hmm. and eating the matzah and the marah. But really, that Shach Yanu is supposed to cover the eating of the korban pesach. Mm-hmm. And it's supposed to be something new, and that's something you're supposed to share with the kids. When you eat the korban pesach, you're supposed to show your children, "Look, we're leaving Egypt. You know, this is something real. Right. This is the memorial of that. This is exactly right. like they used to do." I think that it's a good combination of the old and the new. Like Ruff Cook said, the the, the the old will be renewed and the new will be uh, will be sanctified. You know what I'm talking about? No. Uh, all all is, I know is Rabbi Nachman who says, yeah. "I'll show you an old path. I'll show you a new path, which is really a very old path." Yeah, but you know, as long as it's new to you, every day it should be new. It's right. like you're studying Gemara. Gemara is so vast that you study something you studied ten years ago. It's new, new insights. Right. This is saying, God willing, we should have we should be given the the opportunity to do more and more mitzvahs and, and grow and, and understand these things. I mean, so, yeah. so did you want to tell me a little more about the Haggadah? Did you? Like I said, perhaps more input. I, I, I'm trying to get more input about this, right. and perhaps there's more halachas that need to be discussed. Right. I don't want it to get too big. A Haggadah is a nice, handleable book that you could hold at the Seder. I want this right. to be something useful. There's some Rosh Yeshiva article put out, a whole series like, this Rosh Hashiva Sagada, this Rosh Hashiva Sagada, you can't use that at the Seder. Right. You, you, you read that over Passover, you read that the week before Passover, and that's great. Right. So I think if I have enough material, mm-hmm. I would make the thicker, you know, the scholarly annotated version, right. and that's for study before and after. And then just the more family-friendly, larger, large print one, just like Archival has, you know, a few Haggadahs that are just meant for you to hold and know exactly what to do. Uh, what else about the Haggadah? So, so yeah. what's stopping you from getting it out there? It's just funding at this point? Funding, yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of those, it's, it all comes down to funding. Yeah. Everything is about funding. But this is, I remember I was speaking to one potential donor. He says, but people don't do this. This is, 
it sounds a little bit, you know, they don't, it doesn't have the rabbinic approval that he wanted. And it sounds a little bit futuristic, yeah. too optimistic. You know, like, really, people do that? Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> wow. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you want to, we could open up the Haggadah and we could look at some other examples. I find uh, the the idea of when you're supposed to eat the Korban Pesach, actually, the Rambam is a very liberal with regards to the exact order of the eating. Yeah. How do we eat the, the matzah? First we eat matzah, mm-hmm. and then we eat maror, and then we do korech zecher lehil. Right. So the Rambam says, and others say that this is the way it's supposed to be. First you eat matzah, then you eat maror, and then you eat both, and then you eat the korban pesach alasova. We're familiar with you know, motzi, matzah, maror, korech, uh, shulchan orech, safun barich. That's, that's, that, that doesn't exist there. That, that's, been, that's been overthrown by his, his psaac. Uh, what else is there? The idea of chagigas and other, other sacrifices. Yeah. Really, uh, the ideally the meal, at least when on a weeknight, should include the meat of other sacrifices, the chagigas and the shlomim, etc. Those are those could be beef, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, the the corn pesach <clears throat> has to be a lamb or goat. Mm-hmm. And you could even eat chicken, whatever else you want to eat. But there's other sacrifices that are eaten, and then the corn pesach is the last thing that's eaten. Really? That's when you get that. That's that's why the afikoman is the last thing. Uh-huh. You have to have the taste still in your mouth, etc. The korban pesach is supposed to be the last thing. Wait, but but don't we have korech before? So before the meal? No, korech. Our korech is not in place of korban pesach. Our korech is in zecher the mikdash kehillah. But afikoman is the last thing we eat. Right. But the Rambam says as long as you ate that, if you ate the sandwich, matzah, moror, and pesach all together, so the pesach is included in that last taste of you. That's the last thing you can, you're allowed to eat. Right. That that's something interesting. Also, the the rule about staying within one place. People have to know that you can't move around. You can't eat it in a different room. Right. You can't once you really start in a different room. room. Yeah, so that's what I mean by bias. But bias is I mean, it means room. A lot of times, bias means room. Okay. Really? So just like it says, you can't do certain things in a, in a bias that has a safer Torah. It doesn't mean a house. Right. It doesn't mean a mansion. It means the room with the safer Torah. Right. Okay. So that that's very that's a very important halachas that people have to be aware. Of. You have to stay. Right. You have to stay put. Or the thing, and this is for Moshe Feinstein and the Chafetz Chaim's point, you cannot say, oh, we're going to split up men and women. If the men and women signed up on this, they have to eat it together as a family. You can't simply say, like, we'll, we'll, we'll break up the group. Right. Say, and even though there's some who are mocked to do that, and there's there's what to say, perhaps that's a good thing that you should have, split events. Right. You know, but in this case, it's not it's not allowed. Well, it's supposed to be more of a family event. It's supposed yeah. to be, but if, if you have a very big extended family, there's some people, some Hasidic groups, even when they have a family gathering, right. a family shavarach, they split it up. That cannot be done with the Korban Pesach. Really? You can't even put a mechitza down the middle No, you can't, you can't put a mechitza down. You're like dividing into two rooms. You have to eat it. It's by Zechad Ye'echel. And you can't take the Korban Pesach out of its room, etc. Right. There's a rule that you can't take Kudshim beyond their border, either out of Jerusalem or right. out of the Azara, where they're supposed to be eaten. And I think I told you this a few years ago. So the Korban Pesach also, once it's brought into the room where it's to be eaten, it cannot be removed from that room. Just like Kachim cannot be removed from their place. In, so, so the place of the Korban Pesach is, yeah. the, is the home that it's eaten? Yes. And then there's also the thing about Nosar, no, uh, Notar. Leftover meat of the Korban Pesach, that becomes non-kosher. You have to eat the Korban Pesach by uh, dawn. Not by midnight? No, and the sages instituted that to keep you away from going too far. It's, they, they, they said, no, midnight's the line. And technically speaking, if a person, just like Rambam Leal told his children, yeah. you missed Kriyashma, but you should have said, 
by dawn. So you, technically speaking, you have after midnight. Remember, that's the first. That's the right, first right, mission. The mission doesn't so too, so, But no, but he's giving you a point. Rabbi Gamliel is giving a general thing. A person who, for whatever reason, did not eat his korban pesach before midnight. Vidyavid, mm-hmm. vidyavad. That's the right way to say. Eats his korban pesach after midnight. Mm-hmm. And but here's the problem: a kashrus issue kicks in. The meat after dawn is puzzle, and it has to be ritually burned as mm-hmm. nosar. And that's the thing, or meat that's not that's on contaminated, yontif, right? not on yontif. Right. So you have you have to know what to do with this stuff, right? And you can't cook in your pots, etc. It is it has kachim right. to it. You have to know how to kosher your pots. And in the temple, they were koshering pots every day. Really? Well, rock bishutaf b'mayim. The sacrificial meat that the priests ate had a time limit. Yeah. And after that time limit, it becomes non-kosher. So the tastes that have been uh, absorbed by the the metal pots that they're using. Yeah. In the temple, they're using cast iron pots or bronze pots. So they had to kosher those all the time. Really? Yeah. The kosher was saying it was done in the temple all the time. Also purification. Right. You know, dipping things in mikvah all the time. Just just to clarify, because what what, what you're saying is just like the carbon itself would become nosar after the certain time. So the pots, too, would become nosar because they had the flavor of the carbon in them. So they were koshering pots all the time in the temple. So you have to know this. This creates kashrus issues, and you have to know also with truma and meiser. Right. Kohanim are allowed to eat truma in their houses, right. and they eat truma food. They cook truma food in their pots. That's not kosher to non-Kohanim, right. where people are not part of the the Kohen's household, the Kohen's wife, or the Kohen's slaves. If you right. have, you know, so-called Canaanite slaves, which nowadays are practically impossible, are technically allowed. So right. they can eat truma. The Kohen's children eat the truma, but his daughter marries uh, Joe Levy. Right. His daughter can't marry, can't, can't eat the truma anymore, and his pots are not kosher. We have right. to learn these halachas. I, I imagine yeah. you don't really touch on this on, in the Haggadah very much, though, do you? Um, I actually do. Not not the Kohanic things, with, right. with them, but the non-kosher and the nosar. Oh, really? And the time limit, yes, it's a very important thing. Nowadays, when we have that time limit to eat our matzah and maror by midnight, they tell you that, there's no, there's no lest you come. What's the thing? When, when sages put a siag Torah, yeah. they said, eat it by midnight, lest you come to eat it by dawn, and then you'll have a big of air on your hands. Yeah. But once there's no korban Pesach, you don't have the air on your hands. The fact that we do it until midnight is just zecher to the takana that the sages had concerning uh-huh. the korban Pesach. Right. So it's not the most critical thing. It's, right. a, it's I, almost I, a, yeah, I'm not, not belittling it. Right. There are also, many big rabbanim who are not makbid on it. Well, I don't know. You should be makbid on it. I'm makbid on it because I want to go to sleep, and I can't. I don't, I've never done a Seder that long, but <laughs> indeed you have to, we have to understand why it is that, that that's such a critical time, the whole midnight thing. Also, yeah. I'd like to emphasize, and I tell this to everybody with this manam all the time, and this is Rabbi Gamliel's like, <clears throat> this is like, you, you'll find in Gemara there, when we say midnight, they didn't mean lav dafka to the minute. Nowadays we have clocks and the ability to calculate midnight to the second. Right. I'm sure they, they had, had no idea. They had no, they had no real way. Sometimes they do. There's a certain phenomena that they know, they know the eclipse is going to happen at midnight. There's always right. a full moon the night of Passover. And the moon is basically in the middle of the sky at midnight. So you could tell midnight by the moon, but right. even then it's not up to the minute. So when they said midnight, once again, they were trying to tell you, make sure to get it done earlier. Right. But there was no actual halachic midnight. And also oh, really? when Yari says, Yari came up with the idea of tikkun chatzos, yeah. the prayers that you said at midnight, lav dafka to the minute, middle of the night. That's why I told, <laughs> people, also, <laughs> told people about this regarding to, you know, uh, they want to say slichos after, so-called after midnight. Yeah. Once people used to go to sleep much earlier, they didn't have electric lights. Yeah. You know, they, they, people got up with, with the dawn, etc. So once it's a few hours into the night, that's midnight. You know, if it's four hours after the after sundown or four hours after nightfall, 
even though people are saying it's only 10 p.m., it's not midnight. According to classical Judaism, that was basically midnight time. It was so late into the night already. I, yeah. I, I hear what you're saying. It sounds very loud. I, yeah. I'd have to question it based on some Gemaras at the beginning of Brachos yeah. that make it sound like there are very specific Mishmaras of the night. There are yeah, three Mishmaras. Mishmaras or four Mishmaras. And the, saying, so, yeah, so past according. midnight so, would mean past two Mishmaras. No, so Mishmaras, no, because they were generally held, there were three Mishmaras, right? Yeah. That's the night that is divided into thirds, which yeah. means that midnight means sometime during the third Mishmar. So mm-hmm. they knew to divide into thirds. Dividing a night, don't forget, right, today, the, yeah, it's during the second Mishmar, sorry. So uh, if you're talking about a 14-hour period, yeah, okay, dividing into thirds is a lot less precise than dividing into hours and minutes. Yeah, and what, yeah. Uh, what about the opinion who says they divided it into four? four. So there's four. The dividing, even, even dividing the shortest night, 10 hours, into four yeah. is still two and a half hours. Right. Okay? Not, not the accuracy I'm talking about. You're talking about people want to keep midnight to the accuracy of a minute. Right. And the sage's accuracy was two blocks of two and a half hours, according to that opinion, which is not the halakhic opinion. Okay. So there's a big difference. I mean, sometimes... If you knew when they didn't have an exact time, they knew when to switch the mishmaros. Well, a, a full moon is, is if if the full moon should be directly overhead. It no, it's not. No, Direct it's not. full moon is not. Not only the moon is rarely directly overhead. The moon doesn't follow the same pattern as the sun. Right in the sky, the sun is very predictable. The moon is much less. The moon has its own uh-huh. particular orbit around the Earth, and the way our calendar works, which is something also that we have to adjust, which God willing to talk about some other time. Lavdafka, the actual full moon. Sometimes it's a little bit before the full moon, a little right. bit after. Right. Okay. So, and even then, the full moon it means the middle part of the moon's uh, trajectory across the sky, and the moon doesn't work that way, just like the sun. The, moon, the full moon starts around sunset and rises. Uh, it rises around sunset and sets around sun sunrise, but not exactly. Right. Okay. So that's not not a good way. I'm just saying, you know, it's around midnight because the moon's in the middle of its path through the sky, but it's not overhead. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it gets overhead. But that has nothing to do with right. you know the season, uh, and because uh, we always like to discuss Rosh Chodesh issues, yeah, we'll have to we'll have to have a podcast about that. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Well, that's fascinating. So, um, so where do you plan on taking this now? The book. Yeah. Like I said I want to want to get it published. They want right. to tell people to look at our Patreon page uh, if they want to sponsor something or they want to just discuss it more. Uh, you can contact me. You see my email address is here. Yeah. Uh, Avram, Avram.grossman at gmail.com. Avraham ben Yuda.wordpress.com. Or, you know, find me in the, at our web pages. And hopefully people will want to learn more about these things. They'll, they'll check out more material. They'll ask more questions, get someone to argue with me. He would be happy. I've said a lot of stuff here. Yeah. That, you know, I should be called out on a lot of this stuff. <laughs> but uh, so far, I haven't.